Well, we don't uh, we don't usually record on Mondays. If we record on a Monday, that means there's been a scheduling failure to record last week. And then what happens is we have a temporal gap because we're like, technically, we've already recorded this week, so we're not going to record in our usual time. And uh, you know, we just—it's a little, little. I hopefully no one notices that. I, I notice, Kodak. It's Tuesday here. Oh yeah, I was getting. You know, th- this, th- this, this reminds me on this Monday. You know, what kind of things could happen today, as as they say. Uh, now we were previously to recording talking about your um, your uh, your qualifications to work at Facebook, namely the way you've rigged up a in indoor outdoor. Um, I don't know what that is. What did you describe it as? A a, a carpet runner. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some sort of, uh, some sort of sub foot, uh, design thing. And, and I got this question to ask you now. I see the pattern on there. And I've noticed that outside of America, that, that pattern of like that, those, what would you call that? A, a tartan? Like it's, it's, you see it a lot on like those plastic bags that people use and it's there. Like, like I don't really think we have, uh, plaid but that's more tartan right we don't really have that much here in the u.s uh, that i can recall but i you know when i when i look at other people other countries they seem to use that pattern a lot so i ask you matt ray yes assuming my statements about america are right or just going with it right like is <laughs> is that uh is that pattern common over in australia i have no idea <laughs> um what, what what you're describing cote is a uh, about a 12 foot uh, by three foot rug that uh, I have a rather narrow office. It was on the floor. I've mm-hmm. now used it to black out uh, the light from a window. Yeah, I'm sure my wife will uh, appreciate you sharing my my um, uh, low rent decorating style. Um, thank you for not pointing out the cardboard behind me. Uh, we'll have to share some screenshots of that later, I guess. But um, well, well, yeah. uh, well. <laughs> Every single, I hope, I hope the listeners uh, meticulously hunt down and look at the cover art that we choose for each episode. Pretty much every single piece of good cover art has come from you, Matt Ray. So I'll, I'll be anticipating a good screenshot of your situation there. Maybe oh, I'll go right. in with some little, uh, some little arrows and stuff, and point out the cardboard and the uh, the, dra- the drapes. And then, um, and then you I can also... send me a picture of your wife with like that screwed up face. It's kind of like, I don't think so. And maybe I'll put it on there too. It'll be like we're on the No Agenda podcast and I'm just throwing together some masterpiece style stuff. Well, um, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> if you can throw some, uh, some gold teeth in your mouth too, that would be, uh, that oh. would work. I like that. No, I have been noticing you don't see a lot of grills in Australia. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah? Huh. Well, this is this sounds like a good conversation to have with people, and they'll probably be like, "What's grills mean, Governor?" And then you can well, like uh, it's where you, you explain you, it you to take them. your shrimp and put them on the Barbie. <laughs> that's right. It's 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 like when you put a Barbie in your mouth. That's that's what a grill is. Well, you know, there's been a spate of uh, since we recorded uh, mid last month, a couple weeks ago. There's been there's been a spate of little uh, relevant news to our interest in the infrastructure software area. We've got. Uh, We've got Snap, not in this area, was was IPOing. That's kind of fascinating. Then you got uh, you got MuleSoft also preparing for an IPO. The, are they called Mule? It's MuleSoft or Mule. It used to be Mule Source, and now they're MuleSoft. They still have some cufflinks I got from a conference there. And then, of course, everyone's favorite. It looks like, uh, as always, I mean, we know that the industry titans and the strategists listen not only once to each episode we have, but they actually have their assistants <laughs> clip out the parts where Brandon talks, and they listen to that kind of like in Blade Runner where he's driving around listening to the I'll tell you about my mother thing over and over again. They just listen to that mm. as they're driving up and down the 101 or what what, what road are they on over there? I don't know. And, Sand uh, Hill. Sand Hill, Sand Hill Road. Yeah, Sand Hill they're, Road. They're up and down Sand Hill Road in their Teslas. I was going to say, we actually have a, a Tesla channel. We're actually programmed into all new Teslas. Oh, It yeah. just plays uh, software-defined talk uh, on loop. So it's part of our, our distribution deal. Yeah, it's, it's, if I remember, they called it the uh, um, sounds to listen to as you drive over a cliff channel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that, what I was saying uh, is that it looks like Docker is going to the Community Edition, Enterprise Edition split. And uh, I, I reread some of the stuff there. I think there's a great write-up by Timothy Prigott Morgan. He uh, is always very thorough and not afraid to put in screenshots that give you a matrix feature comparison. 
I just I just have one a couple of things I want to say, and then as always, I will turn it over to Matt Ray to explain what these nerds are fucking <laughs> arguing about, and and then we will uh, we will quickly go to Brandon for predictions about long term success of this business model. <laughs> So first of all, I would like to point out that it looks like they integrate with not only LDAP, but Active Directory. So, you know, Witcher's <laughs> Maxim of Enterprisingness has applied. Right. They're, they're pretty An much done. An old favorite. An old favorite, yep. Yep. And then, as Matt Ray pointed out, uh, they're doing socket-based pricing, which, let's just admit it. However you figure out how to price it, it ends up being goofy and easy to make fun of. So, you know, I mean, Cloud Foundry prices based on, basically, we call them application instances, which sort of logically makes sense for what we, we think people uh, should pay for, which is the number of applications and, and nodes that they're using. But pricing is always kind of goofy. I guess I guess if you do metered pricing, it kind of makes more sense, but it's, it's also, that ends up being really weird too. So however you manage to price it, it's, it's uh, goofy. And I think, I think the only thing that you can sort of like uh, criminology out of pricing is two things. One, and this is a big assumption. I've been reading at Brandon's recommendation that Chaos Monkeys book. So basically, also based on my experience at companies before Pivotal or any other place that you know I worked, uh, like they're just completely irrational. That's that's kind of what happens. But let's assume <laughs> some irrationality, some rationality. Like there's there's so, pricing based on sockets. I guess the way you reason you would do that is because if you're running many, many Docker containers on a box, you want to make sure to get your full value so that the efficiency of Docker does not prevent them from paying how much they're, they someone should be paying based on the value that they are achieving. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, the second thing might be that they just argued uh, like to five to ten different things and they were just like, fuck it. Go with socket based. I need to get the <laughs> fuck out of this office. So, you know, that could have also happened. Yeah, I mean pricing pricing is always kind of a black art, right? So if you, if you go with the metered route, the problem with the metered is once people adopt it, then they're like, "Oh no, we're paying too much. We actually have to discourage usage of our software." Or yeah, you know, or, or you know, the the internal you um, you know, the people paying the bills are going to look at that and say like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, nerd, slow it down. You know, you're you're using too much Docker, you know, too much AWS whatever. We have to start you know, you know, slowing down this bill. You can't do that usually as much on enterprise stuff, you know, but then like, what do you do? You know, we, we had a, a product that briefly was, was based on developer seats, right. And you know, how, how much usage you have. And then we got into the same thing where you had uh, teams that would be like, well, two people on our team are allowed to use your product. And you're like, that's not the, what we wanted, you know? So, so pricing yeah. always has a lot of unintended side effects. But I feel like this is where we need to, like, you know, inject sort of, like, a little bit of the real world. Like, everyone wants to believe that people download your product, especially a product called Enterprise Edition. That people download your product, they'll begin using it, they'll see value in it, and they'll say, oh, okay, I'm going to now start paying for it. In reality, anything that's called Enterprise Edition, it happens this way. The sales rep comes on site. Maybe they've been using it, maybe they haven't. They do some trial of it, and if they're lucky and they and they want it, the sales rep will then just sit down with the procurement person and he will start by saying, well, what kind of budget do you have in your uh, <laughs> in, uh, in your uh, company this year? And the person will say, like, well, I don't know. I mean, the, you know, I'm looking around this. Then they will look at the price list and they'll say, okay, well, because nobody in the room will actually know how many sockets in this case or anything. No one will actually know how much is being used or what, how to even capacity plan for it. So what they'll try to do is they'll come up with a deal that has so many sockets in it in this case or any pricing metric that you're really not going to go over it, at least at any time soon in the three years that you're going to try to do this deal for. Then you just basically put in that that big number and then you work the discount back so that you're in the budget cycle um, for that company. And that, my friends is how software is sold. So <laughs> well, the, but, but, the metric of pricing is just a way, a tool for the sales rep to capture value. But they're all, it's always moving around, I think, in any type of large enterprise deal. But, but you, you, you've forgotten the, the black art of, of true-ups. <laughs> right. And I think that's, and that exactly, and that's your whole point about, like, are you going to do uh, a SaaS base? Like, uh, are you going to do a traditional license deal? And then that's sort of the goal, right, is in three years that everyone kind of makes 
that you've done it such that the customer will have to pay you more, but doesn't feel screwed, right? Because you know that can create other sense of uh, of other types of problems. So the whole notion, like I said, any metric in pricing is really just a tool for a enterprise salesperson. Anytime you're selling something that's you're going to try to get hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's all you're really creating. So that's why when people get too fixated on it, it's like at the end of the day, these guys are going to sit down and they're just going to work it out. Yeah, I mean it's well, it's, uh, it's anchoring. Right to be all whatever stuff that is. Oh, there we I, go. Like it, little behavior economy. Yeah, and, and and then isn't isn't yeah. isn't like standard discountings anywhere from like twenty to thirty percent usually, if not more. I mean, I, I think and and if if I if I if I remember my uh, my sales leadership one hundred and one, it's basically like when you buy a car. It's just like you've got you've got a, a kind of a gradient, and you're like, well, discount up to forty percent. And when you want to discount to 20, you got to go ask the manager. And then the manager will say if you can do that. And then you're just like scurrying around with all this like Absolutely. And I would business. say that's normal for like departmental level deals at big companies. And then there's always someone trying to, you know, elephant hunt and do like a deal for like all of General Motors mm. or all of American Express, whatever, a very, very large company. And there, yep. right, you'll actually have the VP or senior vice president of sales come on site and there, it becomes just a one-off deal, right? Like sometimes the discounts can be 80 and 90%, but it's so big, right, that yep. it makes a lot of sense for everyone to just do a deal. And then there's always on the vendor side, you're always really excited because you want them to then use their, the product everywhere in your company, right, and get really ingrained in it. Because mm. mm-hmm. then you can come back and you know, renegotiate a year later, two years later. So, so Matt, Matt Ray, backing up a little bit, what is the division that they have in the Community Edition and the Enterprise Edition? Uh, I mean, the Community Edition is pretty much what they have right now for most people. Most people are just grabbing, you know, the, the Docker workstation stuff, where you get, uh, um, you know, you get the Docker Docker engine, you get, uh, or what do they call it now, Container D. Uh, you know, you get the the Docker host. Um, you get the Docker tools, you know, for you know, Compose and um, most of the things that you would use on a single box deployment. That's open source and free, okay. and they're revving that, uh, you know, frequently. And I, I guess they're now moving to a monthly release cadence. And then they're having the Enterprise Edition, where they wrap in things like some of the uh, Container as a Service platform stuff, where the, you know the machine, the hosts talk to each other. You get a little, I don't know what, I guess when you move from the enterprise basic to the enterprise standard, you get things like the image management with the private registry, the uh, multi-tenancy, you know, your LDAP, Active Directory integration, <laughs> um, you know, image signing, which, I mean, I, I you know, I, I guess there's still some of this stuff exists there out there exist out there in the open source world you know may maybe not as much uh, on the active directory side but you know things like the app management the private registries the caching you know there's still kind of stuff that like a you know a cheap shop um could roll that themselves and, and then yeah. you have their their new uh for the enterprise advanced they've got a new image security scanning and continuous vulnerability monitoring which it looks like it's uh you know, they're they're running just uh, CVE checks against your containers for you, um, mm. and you know that 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 that's handy to have. Um, but the pricing is is kind of uh, it's was it seven fifty a month for or, basic on two sockets. For, yeah, for basic, and that's that's a uh, business day support and fifteen hundred dollars for business critical support. <laughs> right, and and. Which is just obvious to us. Like we all know exactly what that means, right? Yeah, everybody does. You know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And I think we sell. So this matrix is what I like to call the shit show. This is just <laughs> awful. I mean, Brandon, they, your thoughts. I, I would like to just you know chime in and just say once again, we have. Uh, I don't even know how to distinguish it between community edition and enterprise edition. I guess those are two. Those are the two editions. And then within that enterprise edition, we have three versions, I guess we will call them, basic, yeah. standard, and advanced. So right away, I mean, you have five different things you have to essentially 
educate yourself on if you're trying to buy this god help the the poor uh person in charge of launching this as a sales force i can only see the amount of slides and the presentation going on in las vegas where nobody has any idea what is in what and then of course there's going to be a million discussions about like why is this feature here and not there so i look at this and i just think again once again like no thinking has really gone into this this is just the company wanting there to be reasons to buy their software inventing this matrix that you know i think has no sense of reality like why are people going to pay for these features and not pay for these other features and then the security stuff i think is just continuously comical around why do people think you should only have to you know if you're going to include anything with security in your product why would you uh make it so that you had to buy it so you're basically going to have people using insecure uh, parts of your product, which are then going to lead to more vulnerabilities, which are going to make your platform more suspect um, and you know, just leading to more data outages. So I don't understand constantly this idea, well, people will pay for security. Like, why isn't security just built into the platform at the beginning? And it's just, again, another, I don't know, just really bad thinking. So I don't know. I look at this and I say, this is, you know, again, uh, an open source company wanting this to be true. Uh, this is not reasons that I think people are going to buy. If anything, that rep has to go in. Forget, you know, we just had that whole conversation about how to do an ELA. But I think the first question is like, why do I even need to do any type of ELA with you, right? I'll just use Community Edition and let my people use it all over the company. So I don't see any of this driving a lot of business for Docker in the long term at all so they need and then i would say the answer to the solution the solution to this is always what i always say is like you need to create a regular product that is adjacent to the products that you're having success with open source <laughs> that you charge for that's very simple right you just say this is a problem we think you need to pay for here's the pricing here's why you're doing it. they don't want that let them continue to use their open source product and eventually you know you hope to believe that you'll have a product that they need Whew. Now Matt, now Matt Ray, I was I was reading the uh, the Hacker News thread, which is also always the most up to date source for news about Docker. Uh, and and now now Brandon raises a good point, and and I don't follow this closely enough. But now is Docker Data Center is that the product that Brandon is hunting for? It may not be represented well by this one chart that we're looking at, but like, tell me tell me if this is wrong. Like as as you were describing, you can get Docker Community Edition, which will basically work on your workstation. Yep. I don't I don't know what a workstation is nowadays, Server. but it'll work yeah. on your workstation. But as far as running hundreds of Docker containers that are orchestrated together and communicate with each other and act like a platform, right? Which which analogously is I don't know like an app server or or maybe like a pivot a PaaS a, a platform as a service. That stuff you're going to have to figure out on your own. In the community edition, you're not going to get all the platform stuff. Or is that not the case? I mean, in the community edition, all those pieces are open source. Mm. And so this is like so, a Red Hat situation. Yeah, yeah, where they're, they're kind of like, well, sure, you could you know, download JBoss and download you know, CentOS, and you could you know, rebuild the stack that we're supporting here. Oh, right, right, right. Or you could just pay us to support, you know, this open source stuff. So sure, the basic sure. So, sorry, let me, is, let me let me correct the nuance of what I was saying. It's, it's not all Docker open source things. It's just like go out to the internet or go out to GitHub more than likely and just get um, all the components you want and build it together on top of it. Like you're you know, saying, I, CentOS and JBoss and... Yeah, I, I, no, I, I think I think the stuff included in EE Basic, I, I think that's probably all open source. And I think Docker Data Center is where the the commercial offering actually starts. Where you know you can't just go and and say you know app get installed Docker Data Center. You have to go and 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 pay for that and get access to you know the right repositories. Or maybe they give it away, but you know it has a you know, I mean you know Chef does that. So we we have you know Chef the software is completely open source, but as Brandon was saying, the commercial project products adjacent to it are not. And, 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 and then I would assume, uh, like all of us in the infrastructure software business, if you are a customer, there's also a, a team of post-sale service people who can come and figure out how the fuck to get it up and running for you. And like, oh, and yeah. Install yeah. All this no, stuff. I, I mean, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me just put this out there as a, a piece of advice to all open source companies. Making it easy to install your software should never be a selling point. <laughs> that should not be a differentiator. If if your software is hard to use, you're you're hurting adoption. 
I mean, that's just, it doesn't matter if people are paying for it or not. If, if, if they can't get their hands on your software, they will give up rather than even try your stuff. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you need to make that, that, that fun, the software, the user acquisition funnel as wide as insanely possible, because, you know, what we're, what, what Docker's doing is, is they're just looking to, you know, they've got tens of millions of users and they need to convert, you know, one or 2% into paying customers. You know, that's, it's the MySQL business model. And, and then they start selling you, you know, clustering and active directory like the MySQL guys did. Right. Um, but they need the ubiquity. They've got that. But the problem is, as they move into their commercial offerings, they run into the buzzsaw of, you know, well, I can get it as a as a offering through my cloud provider. I can get it um, as Mesosphere. I can get it as Kubernetes. I can get it as OpenShift. That's where, you know, they've commoditized the container world. You know, that's why they're they're finally on board with things like um, Container D and you know the the run the run c runtime you know they're like fine you know that stuff table stakes everyone can have that and then they you know they're moving the fight up stack but there's the up stack has a lot of deep pocketed people and people not competing the same way you're competing which yeah. you know is hard i almost went back and listened to some of our i think was it last year we would talk about like mesosphere all the time and uh, mm-hmm. I, I almost went back to go listen to that to see what what uh because i think we finally sorted it out in one episode thanks to you <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I didn't go listen to it. What is just for the people listening? Enterprise Docker Enterprise Edition is the new name for Docker Data Center. So my that that is like one in the same. So so if you want it, go get it. But I think you know just picking up what Matt Ray says, like I would say the same thing about security. You should never charge to make your software easy to use. You should never charge to make your software secure. Right? Like why? Like what? What are you doing? Right? Why would you want people using things that are inherently insecure? And so, like these guys, I mean, have definitely. I think Matt Ray you laid it out perfectly. I mean, they entered into a kind of an asymmetrical competition here with some of the biggest companies in the world. So, very unlikely that this strategy gets Docker to the VMware like exit it would want to be. But, it's going to have to come come in some other way. Right, but it's also kind of the evolutionary path, like you know. After this, there'll probably be some sort of consolidation where they drop the standard edition or because of <clears throat> um, open source competition, you know, they're f- like like Mesosphere face. They're forced to give away the advanced, you know, Mesosphere now, you know, DCOS is completely open source because, you know, Kubernetes is completely open source. And, you know, so so then, you know, the question is like, what is your adjacent product? What do you start to sell? What is it that you find that people will pay for above and beyond just, you know, we're doing Docker? Or, you know, maybe, maybe this works because they have so many people coming into their funnel. You know, right. But this is, it's it an evolutionary step. It will definitely I mean, not work. <laughs> it will definitely not work. Poor guy. I feel bad, so bad for the people. I agree, though. I think they've just sort of taken the playbook that I think has only really worked one time. I think it's just uh, Red Hat. That's it. It's the only time it's ever worked. It will never work again because uh, Red Hat <laughs> was, uh, you know, its own uh, comments, its own snowflake in its own way. Uh, and and I think you're, I mean, the point is, I think you're right. I mean, it's inevitable that these versions are going to go away and there's going to be some consolidation, but, and, and maybe they have enough money to like, you know, go another three years and, you know, another round of, you know, uh, execs will come in and come up with a new strategy. But it's just, you would hope right at this point that we've seen this so many times, right? And so in this fail so many times that they would be, you know, uh, quickly jumping to uh, the next way of doing it rather than kind of going through this like long, arduous process that won't lead to anything. So, so one last question on this topic. Right. You, you know, you know me, I'm, I just hammer away at like, uh, you know, I'm just I'm I'm just a dumb Texan. You got to help me out. Uh, like so. So I go to talk with large organizations a lot and uh, and they're basically like the first question is like, so why don't I just use Docker? Right. Like wh- what's up with you guys? So I think I think their need. Right. Is like. I enjoy the fast cycle of doing Docker stuff, and uh, it seems like a more efficient st- way to run all of all of your uh, your applications in production. And so, like, yep. you know, when we're trying to be competitive, we're like, well, what happens on day two? You want some integrated middleware? You want all these programming languages supported? Like, our we even have a, a notion for it, the value line, and we try to point out to people that like. Well, if you're even using the word container, like you're not using the word application, so what are you talking about, right? Like, why do you care about right. managing all this stuff? Now, my sense 
is that if you if you looked at the pivotal cloud foundry pitch which is basically you should have a platform as a service and there's like a handful of operations people that run a highly standardized automated thing and the fact that there's containers in there no one cares right they don't need to care they just write the write the code the application code sure. but my sense is so that that's on the top and then at the bottom we have docker community edition which is like a command line docker container that that we could run that's kind of like a little better than vagrant last time i used it right like it's just sort of like <laughs> runs on your laptop and and well, which i mean is good right like vagrant was i think like industry changing as far as like making it faster for developers to work on pretty much the full end to end thing in a simulation on their laptop which is amazing based you know in in contrast yeah. when we were back at bmc we had like a one of those 10 page wikis that told you just how to like install the beast that we all worked on let alone starting <laughs> sure. it up was a whole other thing uh so that problem was solved and then and then you got you got all these companies that you know just like do terrible things and destroy industries so yay um so uh <laughs> Whereas I think maybe Docker Data Center is like right above that. Like it doesn't really have any opinions about the middleware or the application right. development. But it basically, if you wanted to do a microservices architecture and you're like, all right, bare minimum for a microservices thing that I need is one, I'm not going to provision the code. Like I basically tell it that I want to set up a cluster and what should be in it. And I guess I make an image or whatever they call it in Docker world. I make an image that gets installed and maybe configuration gets injected and I'm all 12 factoring up the yin yang. And then the other thing that I need other than sort of like automatic provisioning and monitoring of that is I'm going to need some security to Brandon's point, uh, something that's that I guess is worth paying for. So and by security, what I mean is I don't want to have to maintain a whole separate list of users, passwords and permissions. I want you to integrate with what I have. And I want there's probably I'm guessing maybe 10 to 15 different permissions that Docker data center checks for. Like, are you authorized to do this and who can do that? So you integrate into your whole security thing and all the users can do that, the, this, that and the other. And then I'm assuming the last thing that it does to start helping you out with your microservices architecture, which is kind of the bottom of the iceberg of all this cloud native nonsense, is like we have like a registry and you can kind of look things up whether they're passwords in our secrets vault or like you want to do the equivalent of like a JNDI thing for the 2020s where I kind of know the name of something and I want to get a handle on it so I can talk to the thing on the network. Uh, or maybe it doesn't even do that. I think I'm confusing yeah. the, the image repository lookup with an actual registry type of lookup thing, but maybe it's got that as well. Well, and, and, I think you are not you. Um, Pivotal and 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 Docker want to sell to the same person, mm. but you're targeting different parts of the market. Mm -hmm. I are you know different different buyers. Um, you know you both 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 companies want to have you know the big enterprise sale. Um, Don't and, we all? <laughs> and, and and Pivotal is going in with a solution sale. You know they're they're saying you know borrowing my 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 sales learnings here. Um, you're not coming in and talking about the tools. You don't care about the tools. You're, you're telling the customer that you know, if they're caring about the tools, they're caring about the wrong thing. Um, they need to be selling you know a you know a solution to the problems that they have. Mm -hmm. And you know this is uh, I think this is down the evolutionary path for Docker. They have to find a solution they can sell other than we do containers right. Yeah. Because lots of people can sell, we do containers right, and lots of people can undercut that price, you know, whatever it may be. And selling tools is super hard to get any sort of ELA out of. Mm, um, so right. you, know, you need to be, you know, you need to be selling like, hey, we want to help transform your business by doing this, this, and that, and telling people that you know uh, we support running containers on Red Hat better than Red Hat. That's you know, that's kind of a, a hard thing to get a sales force behind, you know, yeah. getting your salespeople to explain that is going to be hard. Um, and, and, and that's why, you know, I think this is just, you know, down the evolutionary path. How, what are you selling? You know, how do you sell this? It's going to be hard. And, and, you know, you brought up Vagrant. I think, you know, HashiCorp's kind of going through this too, where they have a lot of really amazing tools. How do you pull it together in a sales motion that like, you know, a buyer wants other than Vagrant's better than Docker, you know, or 
you know, Vault is better than, um, you know, the AWS secrets management that's built in. You know, it, it's selling tools is really hard. I think that's if there's one thing we can take away from watching this over and over again is that you should never mistake adoption for product market fit, right? Because people are quickly adopting a tool that is free. It does mm-hmm. not necessarily mean there's a great business behind it. And doesn't mean, you know, either way. I mean, the question is still open. But just, you know, I think VCs are very guilty of this. Investors are really guilty of this because everyone, I mean, it is an incredible moment, right? We can even talk about Snapchat, right? The same idea of like getting lots of users to do anything or getting anything adopted is obviously the first step in, you know, really creating a successful business, but it's just not the only step. So a lot of times that I think on these, those tools in HashiCorp is a good example, right? You know, you can quickly mistake this massive adoption for a massive business opportunity, right? And that's where you really have to do your due diligence and be smart about how you build your business, how you validate that. And then ultimately what kind of business and exit do you want to have? Because if you think those things through, you can, you know, still have a good business, but maybe yeah. not as big as you want. Yeah, I mean, the uh, Cote's old friend uh, Taurus Baylog uh, was on uh, the Floss Weekly podcast recently. You know, the Open NMS guys, right? Right. Um, they've been kicking open source for 15 years. You know, pure open source, and you know they're they're doing fine. They're doing great. And um, but but there's not like a VC exit there. You know, the VC exit is. You know, well, we're going to keep making monitoring tools, and you know, we're going to have steady jobs, and you know, we're we're uh, you know, we have a very good business. Um, but they're, as far as I know, you know, they're not beholden to any VC or anything like that. So um, that works well, you know, if if that's your goal. But you know, no VC is like, oh, you know, we got to go give those guys a hundred million dollars so they can overturn the monitoring industry because you know, adoption, adoption is. It, it, it's not a good, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> what do we want to say? Adoption is necessary, but not sufficient for any. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, that's kind yeah. of the same thing. Same thing with Facebook, right? Or Facebook or in Snapchat, the other news this week, it's like, um, you know, monthly active users or daily active users are necessary, but not sufficient for a business. So, and I think that's just the biggest, and it, you know, I, it's, it is, you know, I like, you know, obviously I like to stay on this podcast and I act like I know everything, but like, you don't know going into it, but I think, a lot of times when people are doing the same thing over and over again, right? Like I think in the case of Snapchat, it's just a country. It's like, I don't know. That's a really open question, whether or not there's a great advertising model. And, you know, as Cote was kind of mentioning, I'd recommend go read Chaos Monkeys, right, to hear um, how Facebook went through this and found a model and Twitter, right, still kind of languishing. So that one, I don't know. I think it's really hard to know. I think in the case of uh, development tools, open source tools, you know, monitoring management stuff, it is pretty well known that, you know, we haven't seen this model, uh, this open source, you know, be replicated more beyond than maybe just uh, Red Hat, right? You know, and I I think that's what I would encourage all the people thinking about starting these companies is to think that through before you go out and get lots of VC. And 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 the lots of the VC is the kicker because somewhere uh, recently I saw somebody post that you know Twitter could easily be replicated as a service with Wikipedia's budget, and you know Wikipedia's thrown up you know can you give us five dollars to make it through the year, um, you know they don't have hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, but you know they run an essential internet service that you know like. Uh, in a pinch, someone would come up with the money to keep it running. Twitter's kind of the same way. Like if if you know they were to go bankrupt or something, someone would pick up that corpse, prop it up, and keep it running. Um, just because it is, you know, it's like you know, water. It's a utility for the internet. Making a business out of that is much harder. But you know, it wouldn't. They wouldn't have the pressure if they hadn't taken so much VC. Um, or I guess now they're public, which you know brings its own kind of pressures. Well, you know, I, I think I think in both of these cases, like I don't, I don't, I we'll see what I end up talking about. Like a a, <laughs> a, a a writer putting his characters on the page, his or her, and seeing what happens. But like you know, if, if we were to look at like like whether it's enterprise stuff or consumer stuff. And and Brandon started developing this idea. It's uh, there is. I'm sure this is written about in the literature. But you know, there the the next phase after product market fit is how do I get the money. Right. Like, how do I 
And like, you could call it go to market, but like everything about how you get the money. And Brandon hit upon the first thing, which is like, how do you explain to the people, the bag people who go out and get the money to get the money? Right. Like you have to you're going to have the sales force out there or you're going to have uh, inside sales reps or you're going to have marketing content farms that are writing all this content that do a high volume self sale thing. But it's inescapable that you're going to have to be able to explain why a, a customer should give you money for what you're doing. And it's I, I would say it's comical, but like it's more like tragical, I guess, if that's if that's the proper pronunciation of that word. Uh, but it's more tragic of like how it's really hard and over and over again, like companies of all types and all sizes, young, old, whatever. It's just hard for them to figure out like the money part. Like let's pick on Docker some more with Docker. Uh, and, and I, I think they have this and, and it's just, there's, there's a little too much confusion about it as evidenced by like, well, I don't know if Hacker News is evidence, but like our conversation <laughs> and then also a conversation in Hacker News and stuff where it's kind of like, wait, so what am I buying? Right? Like, like just tell me what it is I'm buying. Now, in contrast, I'm trying to think of a, I can't think of an exact example, but they always follow this line where it's like, we have a community edition that has these 50 features. We have an enterprise edition that adds these 30 features, right? Like, like there was a time in Xenos's history, not to, uh, not to pour gasoline on coals or anything, but there was, there was a time in Xenos's history where they had the enterprise edition and it was like, if you want to monitor VMware, you buy the enterprise edition. Done. And so it's just like very straightforward things like that. So that's, that's like a challenge that comes over, over and over again. Now, Conversely, or whatever the word is, like in in the advertising business, like it's a I don't really understand it, but it's a different it's a different subtle case. I, I guess in the advertising business, I don't understand what it is you fuck up, because it's basically like all we're doing is getting a bunch of eyeballs, and then we're going to put ads in front of them and sell access to those eyeballs. Like which, to my mind, is a lot more simple than the enterprise thing. Because well, no, this is definitely where, like I said, you know, hopefully you'll get to it, and you know, as you make it your way through chaos monkeys, like the the dilemma in the ad based business is is not that you're you don't know that you're going to do advertising. It's finding an ad unit that is effective, mm, right, 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 and right, that right, the right. people that buy the ads are really excited about. And that's where like that book and you know Facebook they really outline right right after Facebook went public they really struggled to find an ad unit it wasn't they didn't have inventory it's just like people weren't buying it because it wasn't effective and then you know you read the whole book but the long story short is and, and, and funny he even kind of says it like Facebook was really focused on it's hard to believe this now but was focused on the web UI for ads but yeah. really not until they kind of figured out the native you know in your feed on the mobile device right you see I don't know however many you know every few um entries you know you see an ad now and that was really the the unit that took off that that people wanted to buy and that's the unit that twitter right like either couldn't get right or that twitter audience ignored it you know like the sponsored tweet isn't nearly as valuable to an advertiser as a facebook uh inline timeline ad and mm. that's and that's where snapchat is now right you know because obviously snap is is different, right? Because it has the stories and stuff like that. So they're going to have to find an ad unit that hope you know for them you know, they want to be as effective as the Facebook unit. Yeah, you know, and maybe I should go back and read my uh, go find my copy of Lean Startup or Lean Enterprise. I can brush up on brush up on the history of the Prussian Army and then go read the uh, the the definition of product market fit because maybe there's something in product in both cases that's basically like of the of the 500 features we have and therefore like 20 options to monetize which is one that people are going to pay for, right? Like going back to the Xenos example, like maybe we put VMware in for free and instead we charge for Active Directory integration, right? And and I guess that's that's like the risk that uh, that a product strategist, I don't know, people get upset when you use the word strategy. I'm just going to stop using that word. But, that, <laughs> but that, a, that a product manager, like that's the risk and the things they're navigating is what's the right mix of, of features that you pay for and that are free. And similarly, in the ad world, like there's all sorts of ways you could insert advertisements into here. What's the right way for the community that we have that, uh, one, doesn't cause people to desert us, uh, our, our eyeballs, and two, uh, that peop that advertisers uh, like the way that they're paying for. Yeah, and I think the, the, the trick here, right, is to say, like, it's not that, like, 
nobody will buy ads on like a bad ad platform or in the case of like um you know the Zenos example it's not like no one would buy the commercial Zen packs it's just that against the expectations right like yeah there are some people who do it but you know not enough people to meet the expectations of you know an, a board of directors or venture capitalists and that's really the rub right that's sort of the third thing around product market fit it's like i've got a great business i am selling stuff and we are making money but if the people that put it in there wanted to make 10 times that, you know, they're very disappointed, even though you've achieved it, right? You've achieved a very solid business. So that's the part you have to really think about. And I also think, you know, in the case of Docker, right, like I think they do this because they feel like, and I've seen this strategy discussion happen multiple times, like everyone wants to keep every possible door open, right? Like let's be, let's do some enterprise deals, let's do a cloud deal, there's a partner guy. And, you know, the fallacy there is by keeping every door open, you really don't give yourself any chance. Like I would say like, it'd be very easy to say to Docker what they need to do probably for them, right, is to go make themselves attractive to a cloud provider provide all of this stuff but only on this one cloud provider it's like yeah we invented docker the the vm if you want to do container orchestration it's done here and this is and come over and pay pay for it and host your application here right like that i'm sure to them it feels like oh my god but you know you're I'm, you're closing out all these opportunities i'm not going to be able to do these elas or whatever right but i think if they took a very specific approach to something like that that's really their probably best chance at a real home run to essentially become the de facto cloud provider for containers, right? Mm. Um, but you're not going to do that, right? Or they will only come to that. It's like everything in life. Sometimes you have to learn on your own. You only do that after you failed at a bunch of other things and you say, okay, maybe this next strategy is going to be it. Well, as always, the conclusion is this shit's hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think there is there is a general principle, and I think this was the uh, this first part was like the genius of the lean startup approach, which is like accept that you're going to have to figure it out, and then put a process in place where you're continually experimenting and evaluating if it worked or not, and like figure you know iteratively figure out uh, uh, what's what's going on there. And and I think I think I think the next one, the next thing that I think is often overlooked is like, and and you start to see this emerging from the uh, the chaos monkey thing, too, is sort of like, you should probably not only take really seriously the way that you make money, just just a pro tip about business, but but also try to be as clear as possible about it, right? Like, and and everyone in the infrastructure software business and the consumer space has this problem, right? Like pretty much everyone is not very clear about how they make money, but it, once you achieve clarity about how it is, you're actually making money and not making money. Things, things get a little easier to experiment with it versus it being uh, weird and obscure. And I think yeah. there's some like psychology that really prevents that, right? Like there's something, I think, I think it's a really good analogy that consumer startups and open source startups, like they really feel like if they're clear about making money, that that changes them in some way and they're you know i mean like it's sort of like there's almost like this personality like if i admit that i have to make money out loud to a group of people that you know it's almost like a therapy a company goes through then i have to admit that my company's about making money and that's not why you know what i mean that's not what i wanted right i wanted to do something else and um that really holds them back right in a lot of ways well and and you need to have some separation between the idea people and the business people. <laughs> but also, you know, you can business plan all these things, but, but you know, everything changes as soon as you get into the real market. Like, sure. you know, Chef, for example, our plan was to be a pure SaaS. And, you know, um, it's kind of like that, that, that Mike Tyson quote, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. It's like, you know, you, as soon as we released our SaaS, like, the reality was, oh, no, you have to have an on-premise product. And, you know, that was, like, the pivot. As soon as we had something to sell, we pivoted because, you know, we had to. Uh, I mean, we were selling, but, you know, we had much bigger fish to fry if if we pivoted. Yeah. Um, and, and so we can we can talk about, like, oh, you know, the company should do this or they should do that, but you know, they're going to have to go through this struggle themselves. And, and the things that seem like good ideas, you know, from the outside, it's like, you know, they're having, well, you, you assume they're having these conversations internally, like, well, we can do this, but as you're saying, what doors are we going to close if we go down that path? We're still too small to make those decisions. We don't have enough people to make those moves. You know, startups are hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember those briefings from Chef. Those were fun times when it was just uh, when it was the SaaS service, and then it switched over to on-premises. 
good stuff. I mean, yeah. it's no throwing eggs at your buddy Nathan, but uh, but it was <laughs> it was one of the better things that 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 experiences I've had with with uh, what it used to be called ops code. Good stuff. Yeah, ops code. Right, but but if you look at our business model today, it's you know it's we have a SaaS, yeah. we have a partner offering through AWS, uh-huh. we have marketplace offerings, we have on-premise software as well, and you know it's we're not selling you know, but we only have like one SKU and that we sell, yeah. and so we've tried to make it easier for our salespeople. Um, by not, you know, blowing up this, you know, oh, you get AD if you spend 50 bucks more, um, you know, just to make it easier for sales so they can sell a solution. But, uh, finding that fit is hard. No, you gotta, you got the channels, channels. We got channel sets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We got it all, baby. Uh, Love those channels. But it's, but it's taken years. Oddly enough, the trade rack. Uh, the trade rag uh, channel relation news or whatever CRN is one of the better news sources yeah. out there. It's very weird uh, that that that's the case. But yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, we'll see what happens. I, I again, I think if only for my sanity, just some clarity, which probably means I need to go find some more blog posts. I'll uh, I'll go I'll go read some more uh, some more hacker news and see if that sorts it out for me. I think I think that's that's always helpful. Well, why don't we, uh, you know, why don't we roll into our recommendations here? But before we get to that, we we have a few mid-roll items. Now, uh, unless you're listening to this when I may not post it over the next two days, you might, you've already missed have going to DevOps Days Baltimore, where we were a media sponsor. Uh, I don't think anyone took us up on our offer as always. So our, uh, what do they call that, Brandon? Your CPM, your uh, call to actions, your CTA, uh, BFE? Yeah, our CTAs, that's yeah. right, our call to actions, yep. Yeah, so that that doesn't work here, uh, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, I, I will endeavor to uh, media sponsor other DevOps dazers out there, uh, and we'll, we'll bring that to you. But I just wanted to go over two things in our, our, our post-show mid-roll. One... I uh, I finally wrote my uh, my uh, my register column for last month. I think published this month, because uh, I was a little late. Uh, and I wrote about uh, I was asked by the editor to write about the state of Java, so I wrote about that. And uh, you know, you should go read that. It's fun. You I would, no mainly, namely, I would like the readers to go read the 150 plus comments and tell me if there's anything good in there, because I don't I don't want to read those. <laughs> it's a bad idea. <laughs> so someone should tell I, I... me. Someone should highlight I, ones that I should read that will make me feel good about myself. I don't want to look at the rest of them. I think I think your uh, your uh, uh, coworker uh, had a great quote. Don't write the comments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and also uh, coming up this June is the Cloud Foundry Summit or CF Summit put on by the Cloud Foundry Foundation, uh, and that's going to be June thirteenth to fifteenth. I don't have a discount code yet, but uh, I'm told they're working on it. So. I might have one by the time I put up the show notes, which you can get at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 89. And I'm guessing it'll be 15, 20% off or something. But it's really a great uh, a great conference. Uh, you come there, and it's not only like technical, so you get people from the whole Cloud Foundry world talking about the technical, the all the nerd shit. But you also have a bunch of like keynotes and also practical sessions about how people actually put all this change in, like the nitty-gritty of, of how they did it. And if you do happen to miss it, and you don't want to go to the lovely Hyatt there in Santa Clara next to Levi Stadium, nice little sushi bar they have there in the lobby. They once had a, a, a museum, a little museum in the lobby about Alcatraz, which was an odd choice, but it was very interesting. You could, like, sleep in a simulated prison bed next to – they had those big, uh, those big pasty, like, white mannequins without eyes on it. It's really weird, but kind of cool. Anyways, you can go to that Hyatt. Uh, you know, if you don't end up going there, they often put the videos online, and those are definitely worth checking out just to see what's happening in the uh, the, the Cloud Foundry world. I, I, I hope that's the right dates. Anyways, I'll check on that. What do you got for us, Matt Ray? Uh, well, I'm going to be at uh, DevOps Melbourne uh, later this month. Going to be talking about compliance as code on March 28th. Uh, so if you know if you're in Melbourne, you should come check it out. Uh, got a bunch of meetings around that too, but uh, I'll be there. Um, Next week, I'm at the DC Edge conference, but I think that's more of a local uh, invite thing. Um, and then, so don't Jeff go Cox. to that, listeners. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's sold out, and oh, I, I think see. it was uh, uh, like invitation based. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, um, ChefConf, May 22nd through May 24th. Some have called it the best conference in the industry. Um, 
<laughs> some say. Some say. But, uh, you know, we're uh, uh, early bird registration runs to the end of March. I asked if we could have ourselves a, uh, a podcast discount code, and they said, just choose the early bird code. It's cheaper. Mm. So uh, there you go. Uh, unless you're registering 10 people, I can get you a super discount if you got 10 people, oh. which we've actually had a couple of companies take us up on that. So Buy in bulk. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, buy in bulk. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be at ChefCon. I'm going to go. I'm going to go down there and see Matt Ray talk. I'm going to talk to JJ about uh, you know his whole thing about SSHing in the containers. I'm going to convince him it's okay. Yeah. So I'll be there. It'll be great. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to bring Nathan some eggs. Maybe that'll be my contribution. Before we get to the recommendations, I just, as, as I did last time, last thing, you know, we talked a lot about platforms and building them. You should go check out our Don't Build Your Own Platform paper if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash DIY platform. Hey, why don't you just like, tell us the end? You have some great number. Don't you, Cote? You say like at the end, you say something like it's going to cost you like a billion dollars or something in like a million years? Well, almost almost that... a billion. But but All right, well, that's good. Our, our... You know what? If someone reads the whole paper yeah. and leaves a comment yeah. that uh, cites those numbers, we should we will call them out on the show. We'll give them some type of love because yeah. I'm sure that's in your paper, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I think if I'm doing the math correctly, if you added $993 million, then yes, that, that would make it a billion. But it's actually almost yes. It's, it's yes. yes. Don't build your own it's platform. Huge. Just go read the white paper and and check out some platforms. And if you don't want to read, don't you have your you have your presentation now on YouTube? Probably. Right? I was watching I've, it somewhere, I've, right? I've, yeah. I've, then I've yeah. I don't. For those that like me that don't really want to read, though, just go watch it on YouTube. Yeah. It's better. It, and there's there, like, uh, Cote's got like a little slide of uh, what's the movie? Um, Big Lebowski in there too. Mm, yeah, that's a good one from the Devops. If you're like, if you if you're an astute watcher, you'll you'll see it. That's right. That's right. All right. This aggression will not stand. Uh, anyways, so Brandon, <laughs> you have three things to recommend this week. Three things. Uh, loyal listeners of the show know that Costco is our, our one and only non-sponsor that we want to be a sponsor. But this month is the what I like to think of a, a, a February Christmas, I guess a March Christmas. It's when you get your Costco rebate check. Mm. So a little tip for everybody. This is how we like to do it, and this, this is how I like to do it. You get the check, right? But then you go late, like late on a Friday when they don't have any more money in their uh, in the, the drawer where they pay out the rebates, and they have to write you a check. And then you can just take that check and, and not spend any money at Costco. Just take that check, put it back into your uh, uh, your checking account, and then you can just like circulate the money. Because wow. so you don't want too much extra cash just in your wallet. So that's my uh, my tip for not uh, spending your Costco rebate wow. on like just random, you know, like a, a new grill at Costco or like, you know, the food or just all the crazy. Now that, that is that is the so, kind of life hack you would normally have to click through 15 different like things and some, some <laughs> eyeball right. grabbing that, that is to get slide, to. That is slide 16 right there. That's right, slide 16, <laughs> baby. Um, so definitely do that. And then the other one, the book I was going to recommend uh, this week is uh, Hitmakers. It was uh, an interesting read. It's it's sort of, uh, I guess the, the subtitle is The Science of Popularity in the Age of Distraction. So I liked it because it did kind of take a look at, like, why do certain things get popular? What about the human uh, psychology makes something popular? And one of the little uh, – things I learned, I thought, was this kind of idea, idea of like different but not too different. So as human beings, we all say we want to listen to like different music, but if it's too different, we hate it. But if it's only like slightly different, mm. um, that's why you see a lot of remixes. It's like it's new to us, but it's familiar. And so I was thinking um, in the world of technology, I've often thought like why did containers – kind of like take so long like it seems like it's been around for a while and i my guess is that first there were physical computers then there were virtual machines and containers now are like they're new and different but they're not totally different from uh, things we we're familiar with whereas like serverless is pretty cool but it seems like a slower adoption because it's very different right it's very different from the way we think so i don't know it's a good book you're just interested in like why things get adopted, whether it be music, movies, apps, technology. Um, it's got some insightful things. Well, it, it, and then finally, we didn't really. I was mm-hmm. going to say it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like that that intro song they have from My Brother, My Brother and Me. It's like it's familiar, but not too familiar, as 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 the song goes. To to, to pull our yes. our usual podcast pseudo deep cut reference 
here in the recommendations. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And then finally, I was just going to say, we didn't get to talk about it too much, um, but the Snapchat guys, they put all of their roadshow materials online. And uh, two things. One is uh, someone that doesn't have a lot of people that use Snapchat. I actually thought the product demo was cool to see kind of like how it all works in like more detail. I thought that was actually pretty well done. Good video to watch. Uh, and then, of course, you know, every uh, tech startup has its like own set of craziness to its culture. Like, so, for example, or something that's really, really new, like Google was kind of known for this 20% time, like do whatever you want, right? I think Amazon kind of has this crazy, crazy six-page memo thing that they do. Well, in the Snapchat, in the long overview video, which is like 30 minutes, I don't know if anyone else will watch it, but like kind of towards the end, uh, and I think the investment bankers must have fought with the founders about including this because it was sort of at the end. They have this thing called like company councils. And so they do this video where they're actually showing people like, walking in this circle almost like a yoga style meeting i guess that's where they kind of do like some uh, radical introspection of the company themselves the people some like deep sharing and it's i guess very foundational to the founders of um of snapchat mm. I, I would say it's like borderline parody i mean honestly when you see the people walking in you're like holy shit is this fucking really in this video uh is this i thought it was was quite insightful and borderline insane but I don't know. Maybe it works for them. But if you want to watch it, uh, go there. You can see the whole video, and you can see Evan. I think his name's Spiegel. Is how it pronounced? Um, you can see him do his like Steve Jobs thing at the beginning, and then towards the end, it gets a little bit more crazy. So enjoy that if you, and then you can decide if you want to buy your Snapchat stock uh-huh. or it's, not. It's like so some enjoy those three things. Some Hansel level shit about like just getting in touch with your uh, your deep introspection. <laughs> That's good. I'll yes, have to check that out. Exactly. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Uh, well, well, um, I've been catching up on some of my reading lately, and so, uh, uh, listeners of the show may know, I'm, I'm a f- big fan of Warren Ellis, and so I've been going through some of his, uh, uh, Kindle singles, various books, and, uh, I read uh, Dead Pig Collector yesterday, and rather enjoyed it. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty messed up, but that's why it's a Kindle single. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's about a 40-minute read, you know just tear through it pretty quickly. Um, but that's my pick. Mm. Um, no, I'm not going to try to give away too much because, you know, if, if you know Warren Ellis, you know it's going to be messy. Well, let me, let me ask, let me uh, ask you this. <laughs> let me ask you this. I have been, yes. uh, since, since I've assigned myself the task of writing book reviews over at the New Stack every now and then, I've got this sort of like self-imposed professional reading habit. But I, I, have, okay. been, I have been lacking for just sort of like entertaining reading. Right. And and, and yes. now would this fall into the category of like, it's been a long day. I finally put the baby back to bed at 1130 after she woke up for the second time. <laughs> but I'm not ready to go to sleep. And I don't want to watch Patriot some more because that's like that's funny. But like, I just want to read a book. Like, is this just like an entertaining book to read? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty dark. But, well, sure. Uh, that that that's yes, I would say it's entertaining. It's not gonna, you know. Um, push your head in like some of the, the uh, uh, other things I might have suggested previously. Um, it's uh, yes, it's entertaining. Well, I mean, as long and as it as so long I, as it's not anywhere between like getting things done in the notebook, I think it'll be fine for me, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Um, at at no point are there life hacks in here that you will need to adopt into your daily and, and, routine. And James Garner or... never shows up. I just I don't want to. You know, I'm not interested in that. For someone else, mm, James Garner. Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my recommendations are pretty simple this week. I don't know how this happened, uh, but I, uh, you know, in Spotify they have like a they have a bunch of South by Southwest uh, lists. That's ha- starting up this weekend with the computer and then the film and music nerds afterwards. And I was listening to uh, to some of their their recommended hip hop stuff and. Somehow it ended up playing that, and Spotify plays other stuff, and it ended up playing like uh, some Mad Villain stuff, which Matt Ray is the one who introduced me to this, so he probably knows the history more. But there's uh, there's some some uh, do they call him DJ still, Matt Ray? Is that a is that what you producer? There's like a producer, and then you got the MF Doom guy, and like this I didn't remember as a 2004 album, but that's a pretty good album, and MF Doom also good. It's just sort of like. uh, it's uh, it kind of takes like the the sort of like gritty black and white darkness of Wu Tang Clan and mixes it not too severely, but with the absurdness of someone who wears basically a Doctor Doom mask. Like it's not, it doesn't go all the way Cool <laughs> Keith, right? Cool Keith is a whole other thing that you get yourself into, but this is sort of like 
It's almost. It has. I watched the. Uh, I watched the Batman versus Superman movie on the way back from uh, a recent trip, and like I like the t- the sorry. tone of that. I thought it was. A, we should talk about that one day. I thought that was a pretty good movie, <laughs> but like I feel like the tone, and maybe I'm gonna kill this for people, but the tone of like MF Doom and Mad Villain music is kind of like raspy Batman's voice, right? Like it's kind of like that mm, same feel okay. that you might have, and uh, it's good stuff. Also, I would like to recommend Grapes. Uh, you know, I forget about grapes for like five years on on end, and then I'll rediscover grapes, and I'll be like, "Holy shit, grapes are delicious!" Like a nice cold grape, just straight out of the fridge, eaten off the vine. Wow, wow, very good. Grapes are delicious. It's no wonder right. kids love them. Well, so so one one thing to add to your Mad Villain uh-huh. uh, recommendation is uh, there's a remix album uh, by Fortet of Mad Villain remixes. Ooh, Fortet. How do you That's spell that? Really, Matt, is that four? F-O-U-R-T-E-T. Uh-huh. So Fortet is like a uh, kind of jazzy um, electronica guy. Oh. Yeah. And so... It's, it's yeah, like he, it's like Diggle and, Planets with an extension cord. Sure. <laughs> I'll have to share that with you. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, thanks for that, for that intro recommendation. As always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can find this episode and pretty much all the other ones, I think. Maybe not. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find the uh, this episode and all the other ones. And the, the show notes for this episode, th- because we use the wonderful fireside.fm, which is a service I appreciate and pay for and am getting no money for, but that's fine. It's a good service. And I especially, if you, if you join the uh, Fireside Slack channel... I have, and I'm not saying this sarcastically. I have a, an admiration and respect for the, uh, the, uh, in my words, the "fuck you, you don't need that" tone that Dan Benjamin has with a lot of stuff. I, I admire that stick to itness about product stuff. It's good, and it's, their product is awesome. So they should keep up with that until they start failing, and then they should be nicer. But anyways, uh, because of that, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com/slash/eighty-nine and find the uh, the show notes for this episode. As always. The best way to get these episodes is subscribe to it in iTunes or Overcast. Or if you've written some fun Python script on your Raspberry Pi, you can go. I think also if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, there's a little button there that says subscribe. And it'll show you all the various ways you can subscribe. And if you're listening to this in Overcast, they don't say recommend anymore. They got a new update. You just go press a star. As always, I don't know what that does, but it's fun. You got our microchip friend who's always doing it. So bully for him. And uh, and also, it would be great if you went to iTunes and left a rating or left a review. I haven't checked to see if anyone's done that, but thanks for everyone who's done that. And then finally, it's great if you just recommend it to people and uh, and tell people what a wonderful show it is. Even if they don't like it and you don't like it, you should still recommend it. <laughs> and with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.
The power.